All righty. How are you guys doing? Yeah. Oh, that was so lame. How are you guys doing? I mean, if, if, if you're not doing good, you can be honest. It's okay. If you can be honest anywhere, you should be able to be honest at church. Um, this morning, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Um, you will need your Bibles today because you're going to actually be doing some personal reading on your own. So if you don't have one right now, it'll be really awkward for about five minutes because you'll just be sitting there and doing nothing. So you want to make sure you have that this morning. Um, the title of the message is Our Witness, Our Witness. Excited to get into the Word. Um, but before we get into it this morning, uh, we, we need uh, the Lord to teach us. We need Him to be so present. So let's pray. Sound good? We bow our heads. God, we uh, submit ourselves to you this morning. Lord, we pray not out of repetition, Lord, but we pray because we need you. Uh, we all, Lord, no matter how good our relationship is with you, uh, we need more. We need more of, of who you are. And today as we um, come to your word in this way is, uh, Lord, again, not out of repetition, but because we need to be fed. Lord, our, our spiritual man, Lord, our new man the re that's represented, Lord, by your spirit, uh, we need to be fed. And so this morning, would you feed us by your word? Would you strengthen us? Uh, Lord, not physically, but spiritually. Lord, that as this week, as we go into the world, whether uh, even if we're just at home, uh, whether we're in the quietness of our room or whether we're in the, uh, the loudness of a, of a mall, Lord, that you would be present in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Right. 2 Corinthians 5, you can begin to turn there. If you do not know where that is in your Bibles, a couple different ways to find that out. Um, the table of contents is something that your uh, Bible will have in the beginning. So you can do it that way. And then hopefully more and more that, that you turn with us to different books in the Bible, uh, you'll be able to uh, catch on and, and have a little bit better of a sense of where books are at. Um, but it's right after, guess what, 1 Corinthians and it is right before, I believe, the book of Galatians. So if you hit like Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, you went too far. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, last week, if you were with us, uh, we went through John chapter 13. Do you guys remember that? John chapter 13, we saw that amazing imagery and example that Jesus left for the disciples of how, you know, remember, he, he took off his outer garment and uh, he put on the towel and he began uh, to fill the water basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. You guys remember that? I remember that was an example for you and I of, of how you and I are to love one another, that we are to love one another by service that we are to put each other's needs and desires over our own. And uh, we applied that to even uh, us in this room. I want you to look around again. Look to your right, to your left. Do you remember we, we did that a couple times last week where we are to love one another, that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are a family, and so uh, we need to act like a family when we're here in this room, when we're out in the world and we see each other, that we should love one another. Yet, um, if it's interesting to me as praying through what to teach on today is, is that we're actually off, more often out in the world rather than gathered together as brothers and sisters 
uh, in Christ, right? That this happens, you know, maybe twice a week if you come on Wednesdays um, where we get to all gather like this. But most of your time is out in the world. Most of your time uh, is, is interacting uh, you know, with your family or maybe interacting with uh, friends or, uh, and no doubt, uh, in midst of those family and friends, you come across unbelievers, right? Have you guys ever met someone who doesn't believe in God? Raise your hand. I would think all of you, right? Whether it's a family member or a friend or someone you've met, that uh, it is very, the Bible describes that those who actually walk with God are few, that the, the person that actually walks the, the straight and narrow and, and, and seeks God is, is few. And those who go in the way that is broad, the Bible says, the way of destruction, the way of the world, uh, most people go down that way. And so um, we see here in this chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that, that Paul writes to the Corinthians uh, regarding his service towards them from the beginning. Uh, how he came along to them and shared the gospel with them. And you and I are going to look at this chapter today, and we're going to try to take away uh, Paul's example. If you remember last week, we looked at Jesus's example. Uh, This week, we're going to look at Paul's example of how we should be towards non-believers, of how our witness should be, how other people should see us and how our attitude and actions should be. Paul tells, and I want you to note it down in your note-taking, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. This is 1 Corinthians, the first letter that Paul wrote to these people who were known as the Corinthians. They were from a city uh, called Corinth. And so he writes them, and he says this to them in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1. He says, imitate me, just as I also imitate Christ. Do you guys know what the word imitate means? Yeah, what, raise your hand, by raise your hand, someone give me what imitate means, yeah. What was that? Copying, okay, someone give me another way to describe it. Copying is good. Yeah. Yeah, to follow someone's example. And so in a similar way, just as we are to imitate Christ, it's, it's awesome because Paul has laid out for us and, and he lived his life in such a way that we can look at 2 Corinthians 5 and though we don't see Jesus' direct example here, we see Paul's example and we see here that he is imitating what Christ would do. And so we're gonna look at this today and uh, you guys there, 2 Corinthians chapter 5? So we're going to do something um, maybe a little bit different for some of you seventh graders, but I want you to read this. I want you to begin to develop and learn how to read the scriptures and to be able to take things away from it, to see things that might stand out. And so uh, I'm actually going to have you read this entire chapter. You're like, entire chapter? Oh my gosh, we're going to be here for so long. If you look in your Bibles, it's probably three-fourths of one page. So I think you guys can do it. Uh, I believe in you guys, uh, but this is not a homework assignment. This is not something for you to uh, try to be first at. It is not a race by any means. This is a time I want you to take between you and God only with his word and begin to read what we're about to go over. If you guys have a note paper and a pen, as you go through this, I want you to note some things, things that might stand out to you. And you're like, huh, like that's really cool or huh, that, that, that stands out to me. It feels like it's almost popping off the page. I'm going to write that down. And so I want you to take a few minutes. Uh, it's going to be dead silent in the room, and that's good. Uh, this is a time for you and the Lord, just in, in your heart and in your head, and for you and the Bible, okay? So you're going to read through all 21 verses, slow, 
Remember, it's not a race. You're just going to read it and begin to comprehend and, and take it in. If you're done and you uh, don't just look at me, I'll be up here. Uh, don't, be, don't just look at me. Go through it again. And then maybe even a third time, we'll see how much time we have. Okay? Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I'll give you guys a few minutes. All right. Now, I don't know if you're like me, uh, but oftentimes when I come to the Bible, uh, I kind of put things in two categories where there's some things I understand where you can kind of go through it and you're like, okay, I understand some of these words, right? I understand uh, some of these concepts and ideas. And then oftentimes for me, there's stuff where I'm like, I, I, don't, I don't get that. I, I don't understand what it's saying. Uh, do you guys ever experience that kind of thing when you come to the Bible? Uh, I'm sure you just did. Uh, even in this text right here that there are some things I know better than others. Obviously, I was able to study this. And, and oftentimes in the Bible, there, there comes that. When you first read, it's like, I don't understand some of these things. But as you dig deeper and deeper, uh, some of them come to light. And so we're not all 21 verses, we're not going to go through every detail. We're not going to uh, nitpick and, and go through every single thing. We're not going to do that today, uh, though that's awesome to do. Uh, but today we're going to kind of do a general overview of what we have here, okay? Um, and so we're going to go through the text. I'm going to give you guys a few points, and uh, we're just going to look at what's here. Sound good? Okay, so uh, the first thing, verses 1 through 8, if you, were, if you read along, we can kind of categorize this as, you know, in, in our witness, as, as this is what Paul was doing, and this is, was his witness to the Corinthian believers. And so, number one, we see that uh, our witness towards non-believers and people in the world, and honestly towards anyone, should be that we should be ready to be with him. Okay, and I want you to write that down. Verses 1 through 8, we see that we should be ready uh, to be with him. If you notice in those verses, and as I, as I say things, I want you to go back in the Bible and kind of find that. So if you go back and look at verses 1 through 8, you'll see it mentioned uh, talking about uh, a tent. You'll see it mentioned talking about an, an earthly house. And I, I'm not sure if that you know, confused you in any way. But what Paul's talking about here is not an actual tent or an earthly house, but what he is beginning to talk about is that he's talking about our bodies, our physical bodies. And he refers to our physical bodies as a tent, as an earthly house, but specifically a tent. And a couple of weeks ago on a Wednesday, we talked about this a little bit, but have you guys ever been camping before? right? And maybe you've set up a tent, maybe you haven't. Uh, but typically, the tent is temporary, right? That you don't begin to live in the tent unless something happens to your, your actual house. But that a tent is something temporary. And so we can see here that one of the ideas that Paul is talking about here, and if you know even the chapter before, he's talking about how our body, everyone look at your hands. Everyone put out your hands in front of you, okay? Now look at your feet. Well, some of you can't see your feet because you have shoes on, just like myself. But our body, this thing that we walk around in and are able to speak with, did you know that that is not you? It's not. It is what you dwells inside of. And you're like, oh, that's a weird thought. Like, that sounds like alien-like. No, no. This, this is what the Bible describes to us, that you are something uh, that inside of you, it's something spiritual, it's something uh, that you are spirit and that you are soul. You guys realize that you're not just a physical being. 
You are not just um, an animal where an animal, though, has life in it, and there's something, uh, in a sense, uh, non-physical about an animal, you have something even more than that. You have something called a soul. And so what he begins to talk about here is that our bodies will one day fade away, but that as for the believer, that you and I wait for something to happen. And it's what's described in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 42 and 43. You can see it on the screen. It says, Paul says here, he says, so also is the re- resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption and raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. You see, our bodies right now, they're corruptible. Do you see the word corruption? Meaning that people get old, right? Maybe you're not old yet, but there, one, there will be one day where uh, things start to hurt and things start to, uh, you know, uh, your skin starts to get a little wrinkly, that you begin to wear out. But God says, when you die, though, or if Jesus comes back in the resurrection, that what happens is that God takes your body as a believer and he, does, and he glorifies it. He makes it something eternal. Right now, our bodies are temporary, but God takes our temporary bodies and makes it something eternal. It's awesome. 2 Corinthians 4.18, you can actually see this in your Bibles if you go one verse before chapter uh, five, verse one, but it says this, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. You see, everything that you're able to see with your eyes, they will not last forever. But God says the things that you cannot see, like God, like heaven, like the spiritual realm, those things are eternal. There is no end to those things. And so for you and I now, Paul says that our, we, in a sense, we groan. Look in your Bibles. Look at verse, what verse is it? Verse 2. It says that, that in, these, in these tents, in these bodies, these temporary dwellings, that, that as a believer, we in, we, in a sense, there should be an inward groaning. And what does this mean? Well, the, the word actually means an inward moaning that is expressed outwardly. So it's kind of like, uh, like, Oh, like I, I want to be in heaven already. I want to be, uh, take that next step. I, I, I'm tired of this body that, that gets sick. Anyone got sick before? Getting sick is not fun, right? Anyone uh, break a bone before? Right, did you know our bodies in heaven, they will not get sick. They will, you cannot break a bone. You do not have to sleep. That they are perfect in every way. It's awesome. And we are to be, we are to believe this. When the Bible says that there's going to be a day where our body is transformed in the twinkling of an eye, the Bible describes it, and we now uh, no longer uh, get sick, there's no sin, there's no, uh, there's no even tears. The Bible says that God wipes away the tears. And so you and I are to believe what the Bible says, that we are to have faith in this because God has said it. If you look in verse 5, he describes, he says, and God has prepared these things. Look in verse 5 in your Bibles. And he's given us a guarantee. Now, now you might say in, in here, and, and some skeptics do, well, how do you know that's actually going to happen? What evidence or what proof do you have? And there are a variety of different ways to, to approach that, that type of question. But God says this. He says, you want to know how, how I'm trustworthy in this? He says, I've given you something as a guarantee. 
And the Bible describes his guarantee as the Holy Spirit. He says, I have given you my Holy Spirit. I have put myself inside of you so that you know. You see, the word guarantee here, it means a down payment. It means a deposit. It's, it's a pledge that the rest will be paid later. It's actually the exact word for an engagement ring. Do you guys know what the purpose of an engagement ring is? Right, I'm, I'm married. I'm not sure if you guys know. Right? I got a ring on my hand. But there was one day where I proposed to Haley, who is now my wife. And when I did that, when I got down on one knee and I you know, said how much I love her and I want to spend my life with her, I guaranteed her that I wanted to marry her. Right? I, I pledged. I said, okay, this is, this is the proof of my love, that I'm going to give you right, this ring and we're, we are going to get married. And so, well, will you marry me, right? She had to say yes, of course. But there's that pledge. In a sense, God does the same thing with his Holy Spirit. He says, hey, I want you to take this, right? I want you to take this, this ring, in a sense. I want you to take my spirit, and it's going to, as you live your life, I want you to show you that I'm not going to leave you alone. Jesus says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to come back. And so you and I should have the attitude of being ready. And in a sense, the world, meaning the non-believers in our life, they should know that we're ready. They should know that, that we're excited and expectant to heaven, for heaven, for the afterlife, that, that in a sense, death does not scare us because for the death, for the believer, Paul says it's actually gain. That the worst thing that could happen to someone uh, that does not believe in God is the best thing that can happen to you and I. It's kind of a backwards way of thinking, but that's the reality. And the Bible says uh, here, if you look at verse six and eight, that we should be confident in this. You and I should have a confidence that if we are absent from the body, I mean, there's gonna be a day that you and I die, that's a reality, but that we can trust that if we're absent from our body, that we're present with the Lord until, of course, the, the resurrection happens and our spirit uh, meets our body once again. But I want to give you guys an illustration. Have you guys ever been uh, really excited to go somewhere? I remember this as a kid, and even when I was your guys' age, and it still happens to me, uh, you know, I remember the first time that we went to Hawaii. Uh, it was my, my grandfather lived in Hawaii for a little while, and so we got to go on two or three trips when I was a kid. And uh, I remember the first time I was just so excited and I remember we had, you know, we had to go to LAX, which is never fun, but I was even excited for that. Um, and I, I remember even the, you know, the night before, you're like falling asleep and you're just like expecting. You're like thinking of what it's going to be like. And in the morning, even though it's like 3 a.m. and you have to get up super early and you don't like getting up and you love your sleep, you're just like, right when your mom comes in, you're like, hey, it's time to go. You're just like, okay, let's go. Even though most days you're like super groggy, right? You guys know that feeling? You know that that kind of expectation, whether it was for Disneyland or whatever it might have been for you. You see, in a similar way, that should be our excitement. That should be our expectation to see the Lord. It should be with him. Paul describes in the book of Philippians, he says, look, I, I love you guys and want to be with you, but I really want to go to heaven because I really want to be with the Lord. I can't wait. But how often, just ask yourself, how often do you think about it? How often is it on your mind? You see, if it is something that's on your mind, it's going to come out in life. It's going to be obvious. Not that you and I have to be going around every day and, 
every non-believer we see, we're like, we're excited to go to heaven. You coming? We don't gotta be weird like that, okay? But there should be an expectancy and it's gonna change the way we live if we do. And so Paul here is, in a sense, he's saying this. He's saying we walk by faith, not by sight. I can't see that that's gonna happen, but I know that it's going to, that we should have that type of expectancy. Does that make sense? So number one, we should be ready to be with him. Number two, uh, we should have a desire to please him. That there should, we should be desiring to please the Lord. If you look at verse nine, you can read it with me. It says, therefore, because of this, because of the reality of heaven, because of the reality that you and I get to be with him forever, that we have hope, that we know that this life is not all there is. He says, because of this, while we're here, he says, we make it our aim, whether present or absent. He says, whether we're going to be with the Lord or we're away from him, meaning we're still in this body, we're not yet face to face. He says, we're going to make it our aim to be well pleasing to him. We're going to make it our aim. You guys ever aimed at something before? I'm sure some of you guys, whether it's an archery, whether it's BB guns, whether it's an actual gun, whether it's basketball, baseball, uh, any kind of activity, uh, you typically aim, right, for what you want to do. That if I'm, if I'm trying to hit the target, I don't aim at my friend, right? That would be weird, and it would probably not, not be fun for him. And so you aim at what you're trying to hit, and, and our aim, our goal, the, 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 the tip of our focus, in a sense, should be this. It should be to please the Lord, to be well-pleasing. It means to be acceptable, to be pleasing in even a greater degree than usual. And this means that we are to do our very best to live in a way that God could actually smile at our lives. You know, God, you know God cares about the smallest things in your life? He cares about your thoughts. He cares about your actions. And not in like a, a weird, creepy way, but because he cares. He loves you. He knows every thought you have. He knows every action that you do. And that if you live it according to what the Bible says, you know that you can actually please God. You can put a smile on his face that the God of the universe has created more than we could even imagine by a simple act of faith, by a simple act of self-sacrifice, by a simple act of obedience to your parents, you could make God smile. You guys, can you guys think about that for a second? It's amazing. It's amazing that, that he would care about you in such a way that the smallest act of obedience would be so well-pleasing to him. And, he, and Paul goes on to describe here, he describes a, a judgment seat. That the reality is that you and I, uh, we will die one day, everyone will, and we will be before God. Some will be at a different type of judgment, but you and, I, you and I will be at what the Bible calls the Bema Seat of Christ. I want you to write that down if you're taking notes. The Bema Seat. It's B-E-M-A. It's just the Greek word for, uh, for, for judgment. And you see, we're going to be there one day, and we're going to uh, have to answer to everything that we've done, whether good or bad. Now, it's not for punishment. It's for either rewards or the taking uh, the away of wards, but you and I have to have a healthy fear towards that. That you and I have to, though we can have this personal relationship with God, there needs to be a fear. There needs to be 
uh, what Paul would even describe as the terror of the Lord, that we need to have that respect and reverence towards God, meaning that he does see everything and he does care. He does care about the little white lie that you told. He cares about that and he will keep you accountable to that. And Paul describes this, and this is where we're gonna close within this chapter. As he comes to this point, he says, because of this, because he knows the reality of heaven, he knows that he's gonna be there one day and he's excited to do that that he's confident of that because his goal is to please God and because, you see, because of the reality of the coming judgment, knowing that he can see all people and he says, there's gonna be a day that they come before the judgment seat of Christ, that they're all gonna have to answer. He says, "I, I desire to persuade men. Do you know what it means to persuade someone? Someone give me an example of what it means to persuade someone, yeah. Convince someone, right? For example, when I married my wife, she was an Angels fan. Now she's a bigger Dodger fan than I am. Uh, I know. She got saved and it was awesome. No, I'm just kidding. Um, right? To persuade them to, uh, you know, your side of things in a sense. And that there, there should be, um, that all these things, thinking about these things, this should want us to now go and share it. When we're excited about heaven, when our desire is to please God, when, when we realize, oh my gosh, this person, they don't even know, but there's a judgment coming, that they're going, whether they believe in God or not, this person that does not believe in God, they're going to stand before God, and they're going to have to be there at that time with no one else there, and they're going to have to answer for the things that they've done. They need to know about Jesus. They need to know about what he did. And so third and finally, we see in verses 12 through 21 that you and I in our witness need to be willing to speak for him, that we need to be ready to be with him, we need to desire to please him, and thirdly, we need to be willing to speak for him. There's a lot within these verses, and I'll just touch on a couple things. Paul says that the love of Christ compels him. Look at verse 14. He says, for the love of Christ compels us. He's describing the people that are ministering with him. Do you guys know what it means to compel? The word means uh, to constrain, to motivate. You see, he says he looks at Christ's loves and this, this compels him that he almost feels like he has no choice but to speak. That Paul has such an understanding of what Jesus has done for him. He sees Jesus' love and so it makes him want to go and share this with other people. Have you guys ever been so excited about something you like can't shut up about it? right? You've like been so excited about something and you just, you got to share with everyone, even if they don't want to know. And you can tell like talking to the person, like they don't really want to know this, but you, you keep going, right? I'm sure each and every one of you have the, those different passions. I'm sure you do that with some of us and we're just nodding and, you know, loving on you guys. Just kidding. But that we should see Christ's love in this way that it compels us. Paul says it compelled him. And he describes here that you know, he says that in Christ, he is a new creation, that old things have passed away. And uh, he, he comes and, and he repeats a word. It's an R word. I want you guys to find it for me. Look in those verses uh, starting in about, you know, 18 going down. There's an R word that he repeats. I want you, someone to raise their hand and give it to me. Yeah. Reconcile. Reconciliation. 
Uh, reconciliation is um, a big word. It's, it's not necessarily a Bible word. It's actually a more of a math word than anything else. It means to restore something to its proper place. Um, and I won't get into the details of what exactly that means. But reconciliation basically means this, to restore, uh, in this context, to restore a relationship. Where if, if someone is on this side and someone's on this side and there's something in between, you see what Jesus does is he steps in and he brings the two people together. You see, he's our middleman. He is our mediator. He is the one to restore our relationship with God. Where there is something that was separating you and I from God. Do you know what it was? Sin. Right? And God steps in and Jesus steps in and he reconciles us back together with God. He says, I'm going to pay that penalty of sin and I'm going to bring God who's over here and, and bring you who's over here and bring you together. That what, what was once separating now is restored back together. I'm going to reconcile you. And the Bible describes that we have not only been reconciled back to God, but now God has entrusted to us the ministry of reconciliation. Not that you and I are now to go to other people and, um, you know, step in as Jesus to them, but we are to lead them to the one who can bring them back to God. That you and I have been entrusted. God has said, okay, I've given you the ministry of reconciliation, bringing God and man back together, and I want you now to be my messenger. I want you to now be my the word here is ambassador. Look at verse 20, second to last verse. He says, I want you, Paul says, I am an ambassador of Christ. And this is what we are as believers. Ambassador, it's not just a messenger, but the word ambassador means representative. We have these here uh, in our country and other countries as well, where you take someone who is from your country and you place them in a different country. And they stay there and they represent that country from which they are from. And you see, you and I, we are ambassadors. That we, our home is not here. The Bible describes us as pilgrims and sojourners and we're just wanderers in a sense. That our home is in heaven. We represent God, but we're here. We're in America. We represent him. And you see, it's more than just a messenger and then their number one job is speaking. See, what does an ambassador do? They represent. If you look in verse 20, it says, as though God were pleading through us. I want you to write down four things. Warren Wiersbe says this. Warren Wiersbe says that uh, ambassadors, we are number one, chosen. Meaning that God is the one that chooses us to be his ambassador, his representative. Number two, we are protected. Because God says, look, if you are my representative, then I'm going to protect you. Just as if we have ambassadors in other countries that represent the United States, that we protect them. I mean, that, that they have a consulate. They have a place that they can go, and it's, and it's safe. Number three, ambassadors are held accountable. I mean, that they're held accountable to speak the message and to represent their, their country well. And number four, they're always called home before war is declared. See, God will declare, in a sense, war on humanity. It's called the tribulation. Jesus comes back, the second coming. You and I will not be here for that. Second coming will be behind Jesus. But you see, we'll be called home 
before that. I think these things are good when we're remembering that we are ambassadors. And you see, we are to imitate Paul as Paul imitated Christ. We are to be ready to be with him. We are to be desiring to please him. And we are to be willing to speak for him. Whether you want to take the call or not, God has called you. You see, if you are a believer, if you've come to a point where you have put your own faith, not your parents' faith, but your faith in Jesus, and he is your Lord, he is your Savior, then you represent him here. Now, whether you do a good or bad job, that's up to you. Whether you are willing to step out in faith and speak, that's up to you. But I would encourage you guys to do that. I'd encourage you guys, whether it's in your families or at school or whether this summer if you're around friends, remember, you represent him first. You are a Christian. He, he is in the very name by which you represent yourself as. And so, um, yeah, does that make sense? Any questions? All right. Um, at this time, we're going we're gonna to pray, and then we're going to get into some small groups, okay? God, we thank you, uh, Lord, for your word. We thank you that uh, you have called us to, to do this, to represent you. We pray that we would do it well to those around us. In Jesus' name, amen.